uh, in, this, in the small time that we have together, uh, let me tell you what we're going to do, and uh, then we're going to do it, and then I'm going to tell you what we did. Um, we're going to talk about awakening. What does it mean to awaken in the spiritual life? Awakening is one of the spiritual disciplines that God wants us to be involved in. The second is story. What is the importance of your story? What is the importance of your stories that fits in with God's story? And finally, a word that I want you to leave with, and this is a word that I want you to carry in your Christian life. And maybe this is the most important part of the whole message. Maybe not. But it's, and I'm not going to really elaborate when we get there, because we won't have time for number one, and I don't have any notes, number two. But the word is huh. H-U-H. Huh. Ought to be a word in your vocabulary that's ever increasing as you're getting older in the Lord. Huh. Hadn't thought of that. Huh. Never thought of it like that. And in a short way, in a small, what I'm saying is humility. Um, and I'm going to tell several stories. Uh, we're going to actually read the Bible. Because uh, there's a section in this, the passage that, it, that all of this kind of springs from. Uh, and I'm going to show you a video clip. But first, some stories. And so I'm going to, I'm going to this whole idea of awakening. Uh, first, I want you to hear the idea that awakening is a very normal thing. Children try to master things. And well, they should. We have to learn how to walk and talk. We have to learn how to... Uh, dress ourselves and feed ourselves. But children also do another thing. They try to master their hearts. They try to master the heartache that happens to them on the playground and the disappointments they feel in their household. They have to do something with all that anger. You see, after all, we are born in the image of God and we are made in His image and we are made to house God Himself. But we're also born depraved. The Bible says that we start out as children of wrath. That our hearts are full of anger. And so while we long to be filled, we're also very angry about stuff. But we can't afford to be angry all the time. Because then life just doesn't work. It's usually not until adolescence that a lot of anger starts coming out. Well, actually it comes out in the twos and the threes as well, if you've got a two or three year old. But it's difficult a few years ago, a friend of ours, was uh, they had a, th- a three-year-old at the time, and Sue was uh, cooking something in the kitchen, and uh, she heard from the uh, playroom, Sam was yelling out, um, Mom, Mom, and so she, run into the, she ran into the playroom, and there, there's Sam, and Sam is looking like this. He's looking, <laughs> he's looking at his hands going like this. She goes, what? What's wrong? And he says, my thumbs are short. So you can live a long time and not know that your, your thumbs are shorter than your fingers. It was a number of years ago, but I was standing on my driveway in Del Rio, and I finally admitted what was true, is I am so angry in my heart. See, I had an angry dad, and I didn't want to be an angry man, but I was. And so are parts of you. See, we don't know our hearts very well. We don't know ourselves very well. The Bible says that 
that we really can't know our heart very well. In fact, you know, the truth is you've never really seen your own face. Other people must tell you who you are in many ways for you to see accurately. We see in a mirror dimly, the Bible says. But we can be doing lives and be busy so much. We're, we're just moving through life so fast. We're, in a sense, we're getting life done. Uh, a few years ago, Margaret and I went with some friends of ours to the movies. And um, uh, it was uh, Last of the Mohicans. I don't know if you've ever seen that movie, but it's a favorite movie of mine. And it's intense and it's dark and there's redemption in the movie. But uh, it's just a terrific movie. And uh, I was sitting in the movie, and I was sitting right on the aisle, and uh, I, I remember this very vividly because um, as the movie went on, I, 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 the pleasure in watching the movie was diminishing, and my need to hit the restroom was going up. Maybe you've been there. So you, you're trying to figure out, okay, can I make it so I don't miss anything, right? Or should I run out? So I decided to run out. So I ran out and I ran through this very bright lobby, hit the restroom and ran back, literally ran through the lobby because I hated missing this movie. And I sat down next to my wife because after all, I sat right on the aisle near the front and I put my arm around her. (laughs) But she was leaning away from me. I didn't want to go to the movie alone, so I, I, I reached down and picked up her arm and put it on the armrest. Well, now two things were going through my mind very vividly. There were bad guys and good guys and deep in the forest, and then there was this arm with a white sweater and, and stripes on it. I, to this day, I can see it very vividly. And I said to myself, where did she get that sweater? Because <laughs> I didn't want... I didn't want to miss out on anything. You know, in, in life, you know, you don't want to miss out on anything. She borrowed it from Jeannie. That was the couple we were with. And I thought, have you ever locked, you ever locked your keys in your car? You know, have you ever, you've been so moving so fast that you look at your keys and, you're, and everything turns into slow motion and you're going, I'm locking my keys in my car. <laughs> you know, it was sort of like that. Of course, I mean, you figured it out. I I looked at this poor lady who was not looking at the movie at all. (laughs) She was just looking at me. And all I could really come up with was, oops, (laughs) wrong role. (laughs) So I got up and I went down and I sat down with Margaret. And, of course, Margaret said, where have you been? I said, I was sitting with that lady back there. You see, we're not always where we think we are. That's the Christian life. The Christian life is an ever awakening to the realities of who you are and where you are. In fact, those are the two questions that God asks Adam and Eve. Where are you and what have you done? Uh, most of us, most of the time, are so busy getting life done that we have problem entering into life as it is. I think it's in Matthew, Jesus says to the rich young ruler, which is a very interesting comment, this, this very rich man, uh, young and a ruler, comes to Jesus 
And he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, if you would enter into life, you had, he hadn't. I mean, he came to this itinerant Jew, this uh, sort of nutty guy, Jesus, who was preaching this message and claiming to be the king, the Messiah. And Jesus says, obey the commandments. And he said, oh, I've done that. See, he answers so quickly. There's no, huh. If you read the story, he never says, huh? Enter into life? Well, there's me and there's you. And uh, we're both breathing. All right. Am I not in life? There's a way that we can live life and never enter into it. How can that possibly be true? I'm going to show you a clip. And what I want you to hear is, is not like, okay, you, should, you shouldn't do this, but rather the idea that it is normative for the Christian who follows Christ to realize more and more that they are more asleep than they ever realized. That they're angrier than they ever knew. That they're sadder than they ever knew. That there's more heartache and more confusion. And in the midst of all of that, they get to find out something else. That He is life and He loves me and you. And not just in a head kind of way, but in a heart kind of way. You see, when I need Him much is when I will experience Him much. But my natural sense is to need Him less. To make life work somehow on my own. Uh, this clip is about C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis had lost his mother when he was 10. He was raised by tutors, one of which was an atheist, and he became an atheist. And then over the influence of some Christians, and he, he, would, he says this, I was very angry because of all the losses in my life. He becomes a theist, and then he becomes a Christian. And in that state, he is now a Christian leader, an apologist. He's known throughout the world. He's a famous writer at this point in the movie. This movie is called Shadowlands. Has everybody seen Shadowlands? If you have not seen this movie, I really encourage you to watch it. It's, it's just one portion of the life of C.S. Lewis. And he, uh, a friend of his, Joy Gresham, asks him a favor and says, Will you marry me? Because I, don't, I can't get a visa. So as a friend, in the middle of a work day, at lunch, they meet and get married. So there's no romantic activity going on. They're not living together. It's, it's not a marriage. It's just a practical way to help a friend. And that's where we're going to pick it up. He invites her to a, a celebration of learning. Ask Kathy? Sure. Kathy? Oh, there, that's bad. 
you should change those shoes. We'll talk about that. I'm not going to stay long either. For all I know, I'm not even allowed to be here. We're legal. Jack, don't you sometimes just bust to share the joke? What joke? Well, here's your friends thinking we're unmarried and up to all sorts of wickedness, when all along we're married and up to nothing at all. <laughs> hmm. Which friends? God, you really can be hard work sometimes. So, what do you do here? Think great thoughts? Teach, maybe. What do they do? Sit at your feet and gaze up at you and all? Nope, not at all. I bet they do. Well, we have some uh, final battles in here, I can tell you that. Which you win? Must be quite a boost for you, being older and wiser than all of them. Not to mention your readers. What? Your readers. Oh, <laughs> gang of friends of yours. All very well trained not to play out of bounds. What are you talking about? Of course, there's warning. Not much competition there. That's nonsense. And what about uh, Christopher Riley? He never lets me get away with anything, you know that. Except doubt, and fear, and pain, and terror. Where did all that come from? No, I've only now just seen it. How you've arranged a, a life for yourself where no one can touch you. Everyone that's close to you is either younger than you, or weaker than you, or under your control. Why, why are you getting at me? I thought we were friends. I don't know that we are friends. Not the way you have friends, anyway. Sorry, Chad. I don't understand. No, I think you do. You just don't like it. Nor do I. to show this clip because it illustrates, it gives a clear picture of a committed Christian leader who is following Christ with all of his heart, and yet he had arranged his world. And this tough New York woman who is now married to him says, I just now see it. You've arranged your life so no one gets to you. And he's honest about it. I, I, I think there's a, a great part of his heart that goes, huh? What, what are you talking about? And then he says, why are you getting at me? I thought we were friends. You see, in the Christian life, struggle is necessary and stumbling is inevitable. Do you stumble? And if you do, what is the stumbling? 
There's no way to follow Jesus. There's no way to follow God without stumbling and stumbling badly. If you've arranged your life so that you never lose your temper, that you never grow cold and withdraw from your friend and make them pay, if a bad word never comes out of your mouth, if you're so sanitized, so to speak, if you're so, in a word, controlled, that, that nothing of this sort happens, you have to ask the question, am I following him? It seems that the longer the disciples follow Jesus, the more they stumble. How will it, why would it be different with you or, or I? Awaken. We must have the kinds of friends that tell us the truth. Well, how can they tell us the truth if we don't tell them our stories? Point number next is story. In Matthew 13, it says this, and he's talking about the disciples come to him and they, they say, why do you tell stories? And, and they're referring to these parables. You know, uh, 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 there was a vineyard. Uh, I'm just picking one off the top of my head. And, and he needed workers. And so he went uh, out in the byways and he hired some workers and they worked all day. Then he hired some more midday. And he hired some at the end that only worked an hour And then he paid them in reverse order. Do you remember the story? He paid them in reverse order so everybody could see that everybody gets the same pay. pay. I I remember the first time I read that story. That's not fair. I sort of agree with these guys. I mean, if you're going to pay them the same, then pay the first guys who worked all day and let them go. And why do you keep healing people on the Sabbath? If the intent is to heal them, if you love them, right? Why not? Why get them in so much trouble? Is he just mean? Does he just not like us? Here's what he says. This is uh, Peterson's, uh, Matthew 13. You've been given insight into God's kingdom. Because they said, why do you tell stories? You know how it works. Whenever someone has a ready heart, the insights and understandings flow freely. But if there's no readiness, any trace of receptivity soon disappears. That's why I tell stories. To create readiness, to nudge people toward receptive insight. In their present state, they can stare till doomsday and not see it. Listen till they're blue in the face and not get it. You can actually be moving so fast in life that you sit next to the wrong woman and put your arm around them. Actually, I've done that my whole life with Margaret. My whole life. And so have you. I'm just beginning to get to know her. And she's just beginning to get to know me. And we've been married 35, 6 years. It seems that our problem is not so much our intellect and learning what to do. It seems that our problem has more to do with being disrupted. So God puts us in a story. We're actually born and put into the arms of people who don't know what they're doing. So we can have issues. (laughs) And baggage. We can all wheel our baggage around with each other. I don't want Isaiah's forecast repeated all over again. Your ears are open. You don't hear a thing. Your eyes are awake. You don't see a thing. 
that people are blockheads. They stick their fingers in their ears so they won't have to listen. They screw their eyes shut so they won't have to look. And they won't have to deal with me face to face and let me heal them. He wants us to awaken. It is his intent to disrupt us, both from our story in the past, our childhood, past story, the near present, meaning the last ten years, what's going on now, and he intends to disrupt us in the future. Do you, do you know the story that happens with C.S. Lewis? He marries Joy Gresham. They actually do fall in love, and he has great joy. For four years, God gives her leukemia and takes her away. I remember the first time I saw the movie. It was uh, whenever it came out a number of years ago, 15 years ago now, I think. I was angry at God. This is what you do with God's servant? Wasn't he doing a good job? Wasn't he producing good results for the kingdom? Why give him a wife and then take her away? And awaken him to what he never had. Struggle is necessary. Stumbling is inevitable. Only suffering brings joy. He intends for us to be just like his son. A man of sorrow. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross. Who knows your story? And what parts of your story does no one know? Because you're too ashamed to talk about it. Any secret you have, anything in your heart that you cannot talk about to someone, somewhere, somehow. I'm not saying you have to tell everybody everything. But are you free to go to those places? If not, that part of your heart begins to define who you are in the present. It controls you. Jesus doesn't want that for you. Awakening. God puts us in a story. It's hard for us to accept our story, honestly. It's hard for us to enter our story. To a man I talked to recently, I said, my hope and vision for you, because he's not a man that comes to tears, my hope and vision for you that you would cry every day. But the question is, do you want that? And not just for the sake of tears. There's a lot to cry about. And not just sad tears, tears of joy, tears of laughter. To be fully alive. So that the knowledge I know on the inside is in my heart. I know he loves me. So I can be like Job and I can say, after I've run into the throne room angry at God. My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes see you. Are you awakening? I'm sure that you are. Mark and I have been so blessed to be here with Tom and Iris. We've heard story after story after story of this place of the people of God where people are loved and embraced, where they are. 
It's not a perfect church, I'm sure of that. You may have some gripes or some grumbles or whatever. Talk to Tom about that. (laughs) But the story after story after story has been overwhelming. But be a people who are awakening. And don't arrange your life so that everybody agrees with you. I mean, you don't have to get a bunch of friends that think you're bad, you know, that kind of thing. Talk about your story, past and present. It's easy to talk about things in the present because we have to. But often the things in the past are things that dictate my reactions to the present. So the third point, then I have to quit, is huh. How often do you say huh? So much of the time when I've talked with Margaret and we've related I've already got my answer, my explanation. I remember the first time I gave her permission to be angry at me. Have you ever given your wife or your husband permission to be angry with you? I began to think about it and I thought, now what's really true? Every time Margaret expresses disappointment or anger towards me, I tell her why she's wrong about that. Or if she knew my motive, she wouldn't be that way. So I had all explanations and, you know, you, know, you name it. I, but in the end, it was not okay for her to be disappointed with me. I remember telling, telling her, I said, you know, I don't think I've ever given you permission. This is not that long ago. I'm a slow learner. I want to give you permission to be angry because I realize I've never said, I really haven't in my heart said, I want arms big enough for all of you. Not just the parts that like me or are right. And she said, "Uh, I'm not sure I can say the same to you. I said, it's okay. I only believe it about 2%. (laughs) Besides awakening... Besides story, work on, huh. Ask your spouse, ask your friend. Leave a gap between what a person tells you and your answer. Be very pragmatic about it. Let me think about it. Let me pray for us.